Well, so I'm going to start this morning by, in just a minute, Rachel, showing you a photo. It's two photos. It's a photo of each of my children um, at the same time, like the same age. And their little faces are so sad. And it's one of my very favorite photos of them. But when I tell you what it's a photo of, you're all going to think I'm a terrible parent. So Rachel, will you show them the photo, and then I'll confess my sins to them. (laughs) Aren't they so sad? So over here on the right, that's Esther. And on the left, that's Silas. I think this is both of their maybe like two-month infant checkup. Can anyone guess why they're crying? (laughs) Yeah, they got shots. And like any loving mother, I took a picture of it because it was adorable. Just look at their little faces. They're so sad. This is what I love about children. They just let you know how they feel. Sometimes it's exhausting and overwhelming, but I never have to guess how my kids are feeling. From the time they were infants, they were very good at just letting me know in an unfiltered way whether they were happy or not. And I wonder if some of us feel a little bit like this this morning. Oops, sorry, you just put that down. And I pointed to it. There you go, thank you. (laughs) I wonder if some of us feel a little bit like this on the inside. But unlike children, we don't feel like we can just let that out on the outside. You ever felt like that? You ever felt just really, really mad Like, scream in your car at the top of your lungs, mad? I certainly have. Last week, I had the opportunity to share part of my story um, on WBGL's uh, The Unfolding podcast. Woo-woo, yeah, WBGL, represent. Um, I got to share about my story of my struggle with depression. And as I shared that story, I went back to what was one of the most painful seasons of my life where I was really mad at God. I was really mad at him for the pain that he'd allowed to happen. My prayer journals from that time are filled with words I won't read to you in church. I was so mad at him. But I'm betting, if you'd seen me during that season, and many of you did, you wouldn't have known. Because deep down, I felt ashamed to tell you. I felt like it was okay to tell God how I felt. It was okay to unload my emotion on God. But I didn't think it was okay to do that with you. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so mad at God or so disappointed in him, but you were afraid to let others in on that? Have you maybe, like me, believed that the church is no place for emotional outbursts of anger or pain? Well, that is exactly why the Psalms of Lament are included in Scripture. The Psalms are included to encourage afflicted believers who feel abandoned by God. For people who feel like they're at the end of their rope. Last week, Randy said that the end of your rope is God's office. And so today, we're going to camp out in God's office. We're going to take a deep dive into Psalm 13 and learn together the practice of lament. And family, we need lament. 
We need lament because every day there is an infinite flow of bad news. It feels like evil is winning, destruction is winning. We need lament because to see clearly the brokenness of our world is exhausting. We need the lament because the cost of seeking the kingdom of God is high. We need lament because in the already but not yet in which we live, there will be suffering. We need lament because the kingdom of earth does not yet look like the kingdom of God. And we need lament because most of the time we have no idea what to do about any of that. Last week, we learned that lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. Corporate lament, lament we do together, is a gift of grace to God's people because it allows us to enter together the complicated space of deep disappointment and hurt. Corporate lament directs all of our pain together to God. Corporate lament helps us actually expand our imaginations about what's possible for the tasks God's given us. It allows us together to reaffirm the trustworthiness of God. And without lament, we're confined to despair, hopelessness, and anxiety. So corporate lament, brothers and sisters, is a gift to God's people. It helps us lay down our burdens and experience hope in God's salvation. But lament is also messy. It's vulnerable. It's hard. And so before we go any further, I want to stop and read Psalm 13 together. And then we're going to ask God for his help today. Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, many of us heavy, many of us wearied by the world in which we live. We come this morning, maybe not even feeling particularly unified together because it's so hard to think outside of ourselves when we're in pain. But God, we confess we need you. 
So God, will you speak to us this morning? Will you help me get out of the way so that you, what you want said gets said in this space? Will you refresh us? Will you give us hope? Will you remind us of who you are and who we are in you? God, speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalms of Lament. 66 of the 150 psalms are clearly categorized as a psalm of lament. That makes lament the largest category of psalms. Make sense? So if there's a category that's the most of them, it's lament. Because there's so many, there's a pretty clear format that we can see lament psalms follow. Pretty clear literary form. And so today we're going to unpack a little more deeply that four-part structure that Randy introduced last Sunday. It's the format of turn, complain, ask, trust. So turn, complain, ask, trust. Say that with me. Turn, complain, ask, trust. One more time. Turn, complain, ask, trust. Yes. So turn, complain, ask, trust. Our time together today is going to be spent walking through that format of turn, complain, ask, trust, and exploring on a practical level what biblical lament looks and sounds like. So the first component of biblical lament is turn. Before we do anything else in pain, we turn to God. God's the first place we go with our grief. Psalm 77.1 says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Jeremiah 19.13 promises, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. James 4.8.2 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Brothers and sisters, we are exhorted over and over and over in scripture to draw near to God in our day of trouble. Biblical lament directs our lament at the only one capable of doing anything about it. This seems obvious, maybe, right? This is a sermon in a Christian church about lament. Obviously, we go to God, right? The problem is, in reality, our confusion, our exhaustion, our disappointment, those things can cause us to actually retreat from God, to be silent towards God, to be distant from God. And then for a variety of reasons, we might turn instead to a friend, maybe to a good or a bad habit, to an addiction. Honestly, I turn to Netflix When I'm really tired and I'm exhausted, I just, I feel too tired to talk to God. I just want to flip on New Girl. That's my show right now. I want to flip on New Girl, laugh a little, and go to bed. Because that feels easier. There's another reason some of us don't go to God. For some of us, we've been taught, actually, that to go to God with our raw anger or sadness is somehow inappropriate. 
Somewhere along the line, we learned that prayer is supposed to be solemn, reserved, proper. I'm so glad God included the Psalms in the Bible. Because in the Psalms and in other places in Scripture, we see examples of people just pouring out their hearts to God. David was called a man after God's own heart. And in a lot of these Psalms of lament, he just lets God have it. He yells at God. Loud. Okay, I didn't hear him say it, but I can't imagine him praying Psalm 13 quietly. Can you? No. So David was a king. He was anointed by a prophet. He was a general. He wrote scripture. He was an ancestor of Jesus. And David yelled at God. You know, Jesus took his heavy emotions to the Father, too. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so emotionally overcome by what he knew he would face that he was sweating drops of blood. On the cross, Jesus accused God of abandoning him. And this is what Hebrews 5-7 says about that. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. His reverence. So accusing God of abandoning, shedding tears, uttering loud cries can still be reverent? Yeah, it can. This means we can bring our loud cries and our tears to God. We can turn to him in our moments of pain instead of people, habits, or addictions. Silence might seem easier. Distance might seem easier. But those things are a dead-end road to bitterness. So our first step then in biblical lament is turning to God. The second step in biblical lament is to complain. Complain? Yes, complain. To complain in lament means candidly talk to God about what is wrong. To complain is to bring to God's feet the circumstances that are incompatible with his kingdom. In lament, we can speak honestly to God. In lament, we can complain about both external circumstances and internal fears. We see this in the first two verses of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In those first two verses of the psalm, David asks the question, How long? Four times. And as he asks those questions, I can just hear him getting louder, more emotional, picking up steam until it is a full-out scream into the night. How long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide from me? You're not being faithful, God. 
You promised to never leave me. We have a covenant. You're breaking it. How long will you leave me to figure all this out by myself? You know I can't. Wrestling with my strategies is like digging a well that can't hold water. I can't do this on my own. You have to help me. How long are you going to let the bad guys win? Are you ever going to help me? David was exhausted. He was overwhelmed by a painful situation that didn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And so David here explodes at God with anger, desperation, grief, fear. He forcefully protests against what is happening and he just lets God have it. He says things that aren't true. He says things that are bad theology. He doesn't seem concerned with getting his theology right. He just needs to release all of his anger at God. And as he does that, he's able to express his deepest fear. See, David's deepest fear was not the possibility of defeat in battle. David's deepest fear was being abandoned by God. David knows that without God, he's got nothing. And to him, it seemed like God had left. In the Old Testament, God's presence was a sign of his blessing. This is why the pillar of cloud and fire in the desert, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple in Jerusalem, these all were so important to the people of Israel because they were visible evidence of the presence of God with his people. God's presence with his people was a sign of his blessing. So David knows that if God has abandoned him, he is without hope internally and externally. That he will never again experience joy and his enemies will defeat him. Like David, when we don't know how long something's going to last, we get really tired. When we can't see the finish line, we don't know if we can keep going. We don't know when it will end. We just know it feels intolerable and it needs to stop. I know many of us are tired this morning. I know. I've met with you, talked with you, prayed with you. I read the prayer requests that come in each week. We are weary. We're weary from battling debilitating illnesses. We're weary from worry about our finances. Our black sisters are weary from worry about their husbands and their sons. 
And I know some of us are weary from all this talk about racial injustice. It feels heavy. We're weary of politics. I can guess with a lot of certainty that we're all tired of COVID-19. We don't know when we'll get to be together as a whole church again. We don't know when we'll get to go to another football game at Memorial Stadium. We don't know when we're going to get to hug people again. Some of you are just fine with that, and I understand. (laughs) Honestly, I feel really weary of the division. I do. I feel weary of the othering. In our world, there is so much turmoil. And then we're in turmoil that we don't see the end of. We get tired. We don't know if we can hold out much longer. We just know that if God isn't going to help us, we're done for. And this is why we need lament. We need to go to God together with all of the overflowing emotion in our hearts, even if what comes out is bad theology, even if what comes out is pettiness. The Psalms of Lament let us know that it's okay to say outlandish things to God. Because sometimes when we say the outlandish thing, the deepest fear comes tumbling out. Our fear that God couldn't forgive us our fear that we're unworthy, our fear that he doesn't care. Sometimes faith looks like hurling our pain at God without censoring ourselves, without pulling punches. The complaint phase of lament isn't worried about good theology. It's about communication. And God can handle our bad theology if it keeps us talking to him. Has God actually forgotten David? No. But is is that what David was afraid of? Yeah. Did it help him to say that to God? Verse 3 shows us that it did. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. It's subtle, we might miss it. But in verse 3, David calls God, my God. After David poured out his heart about everything that was broken, after David released the pent-up strong emotions he had, he was able to reaffirm his relationship with God. And that's why it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we don't skip the step of complaint. That's why it's important to make space for strong emotions. In our church family, we have some strong emotions about all the things going on in our world right now. And in corporate lament, we make space. We make space for others to express their strong emotion, and we're not threatened by it. 
When we make space for corporate lament, we say to our brothers and sisters, this is an okay place to be angry, to be sad, to have despair. This isn't licensed to just randomly explode all over people. And there are, it's probably not helpful to say everything corporately that we might say to God privately. But when we ask our brothers and sisters how they're doing, and the honest answer is, I'm angry. We need to listen. We need to make space for their anger. We need to make space for honesty without censoring for good theology just yet. And as Randy mentioned last week, when our brothers and sisters need to express strong emotions, we meet them with empathy. This isn't the time for facts and figures. It's not even the time for a theology lesson. It's a time to listen. It's a time to hold each other's pain. And this is important. Because once we do that, then we, like David, can reaffirm our relationship with God. And then we can move to the next step of lament which is to ask God for what we want. So first in biblical lament, we turn to God. Second, we complain to God. The third step in biblical lament is to ask God for what we want. So biblical lament is about more than just turning to God and telling him what's wrong. It asks for God to move in a way that's compatible with his character. This step of lament is to ask for deliverance that fits his kingdom. We affirm God's promises by asking for his help. In Psalm 13, David makes three requests of God in verses 3 and 4. Look, answer me, give me light. Look, answer me, give me light. His first request is consider. Consider me. Literally, that just means look. Sometimes my six-year-old wants me to see something that he's looking at or doing or something he sees, and he'll be like, Mommy, look. Mommy, look. And if I don't look fast enough, do you know what he does? He puts his little hands on my face. He's like, Mommy, look. (laughs) Mommy, look. That's what David's doing here to God. You see that, right? David's putting his hands on God's face and saying, God, look at me. Pay attention. So his first request to God is to notice him, to look at the problem. Because in his fear that God has forgotten him, he asks God to look at him. Pay attention to me. The next two things David asks for is for God to answer him and to give him light. In this verse, he's saying, God, if you don't answer, I'm done for. That phrase, give me light, is language used um, for the look in a person's eyes as they glaze over when death is coming, when light ebbs from their eyes. That's the language there. And so David is saying, God, without you, I'm toast. I won't make it. If you don't answer, My enemy is going to beat me, and it's going to be a permanent defeat. 
Right now, I'm wobbling. I'm toppling. Your presence is my stability. Without you, I will fall. It's this picture of maybe a building that's been destroyed in an earthquake, just utterly destroyed. It can't be rebuilt. And David's saying, God, that's me if you don't intervene. David also tells God, your name is on the line here. I need you not just to hear me, but to answer, to move. Because otherwise, my enemies get satisfaction that you aren't who you say you are. Here's what I love about these verses. The beauty of these verses is that the same David, who just a few lines earlier was wondering if God was even there, is now invoking God's power to save. You see that? A few verses earlier, he'd wondered if God was listening. And now we find him saying, God, save me. And so instead of sinking silently into resignation of defeat, he gains steam. When it seems like the enemy is winning, he asks God all the more urgently and intensely for what he wants. And that's the example of lament for us. When the likelihood of defeat is the most palpable, lament is the most necessary. When we ask God again and again for what we need, we're reaffirming our trust in him. When we ask God for what we need, we increase our resolve to trust him. Repeated asking reminds us of what God can do. God, heal the cancer. God, provide financially. God, give me peace. God, bring reconciliation. God, stop the storm. As we ask him to do these things, we are reaffirming that the God we worship is powerful enough to heal cancer, provide financially, give us peace, bring reconciliation, rescue, and stop the storm. And that is what launches us into the last step of lament, which is trust. Because the destination of biblical lament is a reaffirmation of trust in God. Lament is not just to complain to God about what's wrong and ask for his help. For lament to be biblical lament, it ends in an affirmation of trust in what God can do. In verse 5, this psalm turns. Suddenly David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What caused the shift in the psalm? God didn't speak. David received no prophecy about his coming victory. His circumstances haven't changed. And yet suddenly we find him erupting in worship. Nothing in his circumstance changed. But listen, the process of lament reminded him about who God is. The process of lament reminds us who God is. Turning, complaining, and asking has helped David remember the covenant promise that God made to him. It helped him remember his own commitment to trust God. He says, I have trusted God. David can point to a moment in the past where he drew a line in the sand and said, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. 
And so now, in his day of trouble, he preaches to himself, I have trusted God my whole life, and I'm not going to stop now. He's declaring that God's hesed, God's loving kindness, is faithful. Hesed, this steadfast love, it says in, your, uh, in the ESV, hesed is a word about loyalty. It's commitment. It recalls the covenant relationship that God has with his people. And so David here declares that he believes God's promises to be faithful to him no matter what the circumstances around him look like right now. So this then is the power and the gift of lament. When we lament, our hearts are reoriented toward God and we remember that we can indeed trust him. When we lament, when we turn to God, when we complain honestly to him, when we ask him for what we need, when we lament, our hearts are reoriented toward God and we remember that he's trustworthy. The gift of lament is that it allows us a vision of deliverance before it appears. After all our hope has faded, when we're at our end, grace breaks in. Grace grants us a view of what's coming this is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, too, um, describing Jesus enduring the pain of the cross because he saw joy. He saw joy that would come from it. It's Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, reminding the church that our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so in this final step of lament, we're reminded that salvation is coming. This salvation brings shalom, peace, complete well-being. God will meet every need. He'll comfort every wounded heart. He'll quiet every racing mind. He'll heal every broken body. And he will give all creation peace. Revelation 21.5 tells us that God is making all things new. So David can rejoice. The word for David's rejoicing in verse 5, my heart shall rejoice, is the same word as the rejoicing of David's foes in verse 4. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's saying, the enemy thinks they're going to win, but I know God is coming. They think they'll rejoice in my defeat, but I know I am going to rejoice in God's triumph. They think they'll be shouting for joy at my failure, but I know I will be roaring praise for God's victory. David knows God is faithful, so he can hope for restoration no matter what his current reality is. Lament allows us to look into the distance and see that God is coming. And this is how it's always been for the people of God. We're given the gift of a vision of tomorrow that helps us keep going in the darkest of nights. 
when we bring the depths of our despair to God, when we complain honestly to him, when we ask him for what we need, and then we reaffirm our trust in him, we get strength to keep going. In 1965, Dr. Martin Luther King was experiencing discouragement at the systemic denial of justice. And he wrote his own lament that sounded a lot like Psalm 13. He concluded it with this fourth step of trust. He wrote this hopeful, prophetic promise. Dr. King said, I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth pressed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long, because mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. In this particular time in church history, we have many things to lament. There are many circumstances weighing on our hearts. And so church family, we need to practice lament. We want to help you do that. As you came in today, you were given a sheet of paper that had a template for writing your own lament. We want to invite you to take that home and write your own lament. If you're watching online with us this morning, or if any of you here want another copy of that, you can find that template on the Weep With Me resource page on our website. Over the next few weeks as a church family, we're going to collect these laments. And we want to publish them in a book for our congregation. If you're an artist, if you write music or poetry, or you draw or do photography, we'd love to have those included as well. We want to take these laments and publish them as a book, as a gift to our church family for times of trouble. We want to have something in hand to remember what God was doing in 2020 at Windsor Road. So if you want your prayer to be included or your artwork or your poetry to be included, you can just send those to prayer at windsorroad.org. Um, and over the next few weeks, we want to compile these. Um, we want to lament together. Because as we together turn to God, complain to him, ask for what we need, and affirm our trust, our hope is that this corporate lament is an exercise in unity that binds us closer to each other and gives us strength to keep pressing on. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up, and then we are going to sing our hope to God. Let's, let's pray.